This morning, Psalm 17. A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with their children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Every word of God is perfect. Let his people bless his holy name. Amen. The hits keep coming. David is under attack again. Psalm 17 probably relates to his conflict with Saul, but in David's life, we know there's plenty of other adversity to choose from. He's facing danger and uncertainty again. And to top it off, he's also facing persecution. Accusations from his enemies that everything he's getting, he deserves. His enemies likely hold an early version of the prosperity gospel, the same broken worldview that clouded the perspective of Job's friends. They're all convinced that you can judge a person's righteousness from their circumstances. Do good, and you'll get good. If you're suffering, it's because you're sinning. David's life was often under attack from his enemies and from the great enemy. Seeing David on the run and with such instability in his life, some were boasting that David's own wickedness had turned God against him. David's circumstances are unsafe again. But David doesn't feel unsafe because, again, he knows right where to go. Look at the heading of the psalm, a prayer. It's the first psalm with that heading, but it's not the first time David has turned to prayer This is where he goes when circumstances threaten him and make him feel unsafe. Physical circumstances, yes, like Saul's attempts on his life, but also spiritual and emotional circumstances. 
These enemies are accusing him of turning away from God and therefore provoking God to turn away from him. That hurts. That's scary. Haven't you heard that accusation before? It's one of Satan's favorites because he gets to impugn God in a way that our hearts are willing to accept. After all, he's not saying that God ran out of love. He's just saying that God ran out of love for you. He ran out of patience with you, and you deserve what you're getting. It's an accusation the evil one loves because he intends it to provoke guilt and shame and to make you feel more unsafe. But David isn't buying it. Verse 1, hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come, let your eyes behold the right. More than freedom from his circumstances, more than judgment against his enemies, what David wants is to be vindicated. The emotional and spiritual toll of what's happening could weigh him down. He could look at his difficult circumstances and conclude that God is against him. He could look at his own obedience, earnest but surely imperfect, and conclude that he's on the outside looking in with God. He could listen to his enemies believing the accusations that God wants nothing more to do with him. He wants, he needs to be vindicated. So he turns to God in prayer to make his case instead. He knows that God knows what they're saying. He also knows that God knows his faith. And so in Psalm 17, he unpacks all of this in a persuasive case as to why God should act, answer his prayer, and vindicate his cause. Have you ever tried one of those prayers that's an attempted bargain with God? If God will give us what we want, we'll do some things for God, or we'll at least claim we'll do some things for God. That's not a good way to pray. But David's prayer here is actually a godlier approach to getting something he desperately needs in prayer. He makes the case for why God should act. And it's in the making of the case that God has not changed, but David. And he's able to feel safe regardless of the circumstances. The emotional emotional and spiritual assault that he's under is no match for the effect of earnest and thoughtful prayer. And I tell you this morning, if you're struggling to find peace of mind amidst a relentless stream of difficulties, this kind of approach is exactly what you need. David begins his argument by asserting the fact that he is walking with God. 
God should answer his request because, first of all, the request is just. And David is confident that God knows and sees that. His enemies are judging him based on his circumstances, but David knows that God can see the heart. He knows all people and needs no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knows what was in man. David is not sinning with his mouth, verse 3, when he makes his claim of innocence. That doesn't mean that he's blameless. It means that he's not living a deceitful and hypocritical life. He doesn't say one thing before God and another when speaking to his neighbor or to his enemies. Nor, verse 4, has he been violent. He sees the ways of man and he avoids them. He does not repay evil with evil. He does not carry around anger or bitterness in his heart. He knows the way of the blessed life from Psalm 1, and he has put his feet firmly on that path. David is not claiming sinless perfection. It's just as we read in Job with his protests of innocence. He's not saying he's perfect. He's saying two things. First, he's claiming he has a general disposition toward walking obediently with God. What's his desire? To walk with God. What's his default? To walk with God. Is obedience at the forefront of his life or just something that's nice to do when he can pull it off? Well, he describes it both negatively, I've avoided the ways of the violent, and positively, my steps have held fast. David is committed to walking with God. The second implicit claim is that he's innocent of the specific evil of which he's being accused. Even when we've confessed sin, sometimes others, especially the ones we've hurt, will accuse us of other hidden sins, haughtiness, hypocrisy, deceit, the things that are buried underneath that are harder to find. David objects to those accusations because his conscience is clear. They are wrong. There's no sin he's trying to hide from God. He knows that unconfessed sin is the fastest way to have your prayer bounce off the ceiling. Indifference toward the things of God is a way to tell God that you should not be heard. If he cherishes sin in his heart, the Lord will not listen. If he turns away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Sin hides God's face. Incidentally, husbands, the Bible gives a very specific example of this when it says that our sin against our wives is a great hindrance to prayer. Maybe David's enemies were trying to make this case, similar to the one Job's friends made, that there must be hidden sin. Otherwise, God would listen to his prayers. Otherwise, your circumstances would be better. You must be the problem, David. Clearly, God's face is is hidden from you. But David knows it's not so. He has a general disposition toward walking obediently with God. He's innocent of these accusations of deceit and hidden sin. And so that confidence 
allows him to approach the throne of grace and to ask for vindication, even though he knows how short he falls of God's standard overall. In this one, and in many other Psalms, it really stands out to me how eager David was to have God close to him, really up in his business, even showing him his own sin. I think about myself and my sin and wanting to keep God at kind of a safer distance. But David talks like this. The the word visited in verse 3 It's a Hebrew word that suggests an investigation or an audit. He he invites God in to audit his walk with God. That word testing, that's that familiar biblical concept of burning out impurities to prove the worth and the goodness of what's left behind. I resist that. David prays for it. Kids, we live in a world that tells you that peace of mind will come from ignoring sin or hiding sin. And I want you to know that the scriptures say that following that advice will never bring you peace. Awareness of the general reality of sin isn't something you can escape. You can't just pretend it's not there. And you can't pretend away the guilt and the shame that sin produces in us either. The world is always trying to find a way to ignore or to hide sin and shame. Today, a popular approach is just to try to shout them down. If we yell loud enough that shame doesn't exist, maybe we won't have any. And maybe you can shout them down in a society. But you can't shout them down in a human heart. That shouting will never quiet the guilt and shame in a heart and in a mind. Only God can finally relieve that. And so what David does, counterintuitive as it is, and and maybe even scary, the answer to our sin and guilt and shame is not to push God away, it's to invite him closer. And that's what David does. David knows the only path to peace of mind is for God to examine us, to uncover the sin that's within us, and to test us, burning it away as with fire. How else could a man like David invite God to audit his life and vindicate his cause? God knows whether prayer is honest or deceptive. And David is confident that God knows. And yet he's actually comforted by that knowledge. Another pastor offers some diagnostic questions we can use when we approach God in prayer and we're trying to invite him to do that work in us. Is there somewhere I'm being intentionally disobedient? Is there a way I'm being selfish? Am I neglecting some important duty? Is there a wrong I need to make right with someone else? Are my priorities in order? The reason why these questions are helpful is because they allow us to approach the throne of grace honestly. Not putting on airs and pretenses, honestly asking the Lord to show us our sin, to give us that closer walk with him. 
of which we sometimes sing. Peace of mind is available at the throne of grace. We've just got to approach that throne honestly. When we're walking with God, he can grant us through prayer the emotional and spiritual rest we seek. And David finds it because he brings his prayer before the Lord with clean hands and a clean conscience. Now, our Reformed sensibilities may struggle with this a little bit. After all, David begins the case for vindication with a defense of his righteousness. Doesn't that seem rather works-based? Will God really listen to the petition of a still sinful human whose case starts with a claim of relative obedience? But wait, there's more. Look at the end of the psalm, verses 13 through 15. This is the third factor of David's argument for why God should hear his case. And do you know what the third factor is? David's argument for vindication is grounded in David's own love for God. He contrasts the loves of unbelievers, worldliness, with the love of God that's in his heart. He says, they measure success by what you get in this life, in this world. They judge Psalm 1's blessed life by externals. Contrast that to David, whose focus is internal, what he possesses in his mind and heart because of what God has granted him in salvation. I loved this description. David is not an earth dweller. His portion is not in this life. Instead, God is his reward. David is not in love with this creation. He's in love with the creator. Nothing on earth can satisfy the heart of a man or woman who loves God. Did you catch that? Nothing on earth can satisfy the heart of a man or woman who loves God. God. David sees the disordered loves all around him. He's felt that tug within his own heart to worship the created thing rather than the creator. He's heard the calls of not gods to find his security and satisfaction in them. But his love for God is too great to be satisfied by those things. Nothing else will do. He must have God. Back to our discomfort then. David's first appeal is to his innocence and the reality of his walk with God. His final appeal is to his love for God. And I told you this was a good prayer. Can can this really work? Can this really be the way to approach God in prayer? Does safety really come from all of this thinking about ourselves? The answer is yes, if. It's the if that saves the elders from coming up here to remove me. David is confident in his walk with God and confident in his love for God. He's not wrong about those things. He is walking with God. He does love God. And so confidence in them is essential for peace of mind. 
But if David is confident in himself, that's misplaced and destructive. But what if his confidence in his obedience and in his love are actually the fruit of his faith in a covenant-keeping God? Wouldn't that be exactly how things should be? We talk sometimes about what happens when you use good things for the wrong purpose. That's what the word perversion means, a distortion, a twisting, and a misapplication of something. Money, beauty, sex, worship, all can be distorted. And so can obedience. And so can love. Obedience, walking with God, is a good thing unless you're trying to use that obedience as a reason why God should accept you. Obedience should be the joyful response to and the evidence of the acceptance God has already extended. Love for God is a good thing unless you think it's your love for God that changed your heart from stone to flesh. When love becomes a work of our own hands, we've distorted it. Love for God is the joyful response to and the evidence of the love God has already extended to us. So, is David's case really going to get a hearing with God based on David's obedience and David's love? Yes. Because David understands the source of his obedience and love for God And his ultimate confidence is in the God who produced those things in him. That point starts in verse 6. I call upon you, for you will answer me. Verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. David has absolute confidence here. Why is he so sure? Well, verse 7 is the linchpin. Wondrously show your steadfast love. That's the Hebrew word hesed, translated sometimes as loving kindness, here as steadfast love. It's the word of God's covenant loyalty, the word that reminds us he will be faithful always. Why is David so confident? Why does David feel certain that he's walking with God and certain that his love for God is genuine. It's not because of anything about David. It's because God will be faithful always. That faithfulness is what makes us actually safe and resting in that faithfulness. And yes, that rest includes walking with God in obedience. It includes living with love for God. But that rest is what makes us feel safe. And in this prayer, as David makes that case, the safety he has becomes the safety he feels. Verse 8 uses the image of God hiding us in the shadow of his wings. 
several of you have raised chickens, and you know that the protection of a mother hen's wings is no joke to the chicks in her care. Another wrote this. He said, For as a hen protects and shelters her young from predators, so also Christ Jesus guards, nourishes, and defends his church from the savage power of the devil. And as the young chicks, when vultures circle overhead, rush to their mother and seek protection, tucking themselves under her wings, so also all Christians flee to and seek protection with Christ their Lord. As often as they are afflicted and plagued by the devil and the world, they crawl under his wings and rest in his promises. In the onslaught of life in this world, in the circumstances that threaten your peace of mind, in the accusations that come from the evil one and from your enemies and God's enemies, do you crawl under his wings and rest in his promises. That's what David does in this prayer. He rests in the faithfulness of God. He knows that he is safe, but it's only under the wings of those promises that he feels safe. Safe enough to pray with this kind of confidence. That Faithfulness is why David walks with God in obedience. God is faithfully putting sin to death in David and making him more and more like the Savior. That faithfulness is why David loves God. God, in his covenant faithfulness, poured his own love into David's heart. When you're weighed down with accusations and with fear, point to obedience and a life walking with God as evidence of God's faithfulness and your safety. When circumstances threaten your sense of acceptance and well-being, point to your love of God as evidence of your safety in his love for you. We are in Christ Jesus in whom there is no condemnation. And we know this because and only because he will be faithful to his covenant. In the crucible of hardship, will you remember that? When you feel unsafe, when peace of mind is hard to come by, can you tuck yourself under the wings of of promise, and remember that God is faithful, that God always keeps his covenant. Well, how do I do that? One place to start is to do what David does here. Verse 7, Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. It's not an accidental phrase. That's the exact phrase Moses uses in Exodus 15 to praise God's power after the sea crashed down on Pharaoh's pursuing army. Verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Those aren't accidental phrases. Those are specific references to Deuteronomy 32's Song of Moses. 
David, desiring to tuck himself under the safety of God's wings, thinks about the exodus. He recalls specific events in his memory. He remembers great moments of God's covenant keeping in the past to help him trust in that faithfulness in the present. Brothers and sisters, I'd ask you, can't you do the same and then some? (laughs) David's remembering Moses' exodus. But that exodus pointed forward to a greater one, which we now know was accomplished for us in Christ. That's what we can remember. That's what we take hold of when we tuck ourselves under the wings of promise that it is finished. David, speaking more than he knew, pointed forward to Christ in this prayer and praise even. Verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Christian, whatever befalls you in this life, even death itself, you will awaken in Christ. David knew hardship and trial. He knew unsafe circumstances, and he knew how often peace of mind could be under assault. But more than all those, David knew the covenant faithfulness of his God. He saw it reflected in his own obedience. So walk daily with God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will see his faithfulness too. David saw God's covenant faithfulness in his own love for God. Grow, grow in your understanding and praise for God's love and you will see it too. And David saw that faithfulness in God's track record, keeping covenant, saving his people, delivering them from all evil. You search the scriptures Memorize the word of God. Dig more deeply into the story of God's world. And you will see it too. Look to God and see what David saw. Tuck yourselves under those wings of promise. Look to God and find the peace of mind you're looking for. Look to God. And finally, Feel safe.